Okay, welcome to the Without a Hitch podcast, episode three, Schools Out. Today we're running with a school theme, looking back a little at what school life was like as I experienced it, and also thinking a little bit about what school is even for. We'll hear a story about a duckling and the deep irony of trying to do the right thing but achieving the absolute opposite, plus a piece about a really, really big nose, (laughs) mine, and how it was excluded from the bullying canon at a boarding school in the late 90s. The day I finished high school, I distinctly remember a Whanganui radio station playing a bunch of school-related songs to celebrate the day for all the senior leavers. Two of the songs I remember um, really projected a, a different impression of the experience of going to school. We had Cat Stevens crooning about the days of the old schoolyard and how we used to laugh a lot. And then we had Alice Cooper railing against the establishment and the constrictions of school. No more teachers, no more rules. At a, at a basic level, you're at school to learn these foundational skills, right? You'll need for your life after school, plus you're really learning how to learn so you can keep this going yourself. You can keep learning throughout your life. But the significant thing about school that I remember, and I'm noticing a lot more now with my own children at school, is that you're also learning these social skills, these skills of being around other people. Essentially, how do you interact with people and how do you deal with people who are being unpleasant? You're never going to navigate the school landscape without having to deal with some dicks. The best you can hope for, uh, I think, is a dependable group of friends who are mostly good to you and a great attitude and manner for dealing with people who aren't that nice. Both of the tales you're about to hear feature people being the worst versions of themselves, but it's not a lament about bullying, more of a glimpse into a school life the ups and downs and how one person navigated it. Everyone has different school stories. Here are a couple of mine. I think that at high school I overcorrected a bit in response to people being dicks. It drove me to be perhaps, well, to be appallingly righteous in retrospect, which in turn people didn't like, so they hassled me about it, which in turn made me all more righteous. It was a self-fulfilling loop. This piece is about luck, a duck, and righteousness. Lucky Ducky. At the northeastern end of Wanganui Collegiate School, there's a little lane which ends at Liverpool Street. When I went to school there, this was where the day students, as opposed to the boarders, would get picked up. I lived in Aramoho, a suburb across town, and generally I'd bike to and from school. But from time to time I needed mum to give me a lift so I'd mill around the hedges at the lane entrance with the other boys waiting for their parents. Today I was waiting there with three boys from the year above, Adrian, Jake and Trevor. They smiled when they saw me set down my bag to wait. Does your car have electric windows? asked Adrian. No, I sighed. It has a handle you crank to make the windows go up and down. I didn't know they still make cars like that said Jake, joining in. I guess they do, I said. A slick, modern car, an Audi, I think, I wasn't good with cars, glided in to pick up Jake. There was a pause in the conversation as Jake left. Where are your Christmas lights, said Trevor. They aren't Christmas lights, I said. They're safety lights for biking at night. I wondered how they knew about my highlighter arm and leg bands with blinking red LEDs. I usually waited until I was well down the road before pulling over and putting them on. Someone must have passed me in their car. 
They look like Christmas lights, Adrian said. Well, it's July. You're a little early, I said. I rarely had good comebacks for these guys. I'd only think of them on the way home. The chatting faded off because we could all hear the deep, whining strain of an engine navigating the hill about a block away. Adrian and Trevor started to laugh. Looks like your ride's here, said Trevor, patting me on the shoulder. We watched the orange Vauxhall Viva slow, then do a U-turn, exposing a single green door on the passenger side. Mum waved from the driver's side and I got in, my face burning. I didn't know what year the Viva was made exactly, but in 1997 it seemed practically an antique. Friends of yours? Mum asked as we pulled out onto the road. I wouldn't say that, I said. The sense of being an underdog, a scholarship kid at a Ponzi establishment, is at least partly what drove me to be embarrassingly righteous at high school. I worked obsessively, agonising over test scores which were already plenty high enough. I offered an answer to every question in class. I didn't swear, ever. I was never late. Every Friday, Wanganui Collegiate School would publish and distribute what was known as the Blue Sheet, a list of all the people who had received punishments, drills, sports drills, tardies, tickets that week, and the reasons the teachers had allocated for each. I never once appeared on it. I did talk back to a teacher once, but this was in itself a moment born of righteousness. Mr Tate, our English teacher, had been listening to the other boys call me a nickname I detested, Bert. It sounds an innocent name, but it came with nasty connotations built up over years within the school milieu. You did not want to be a Bert, and every year someone was assigned it. Mr Tate turned casually towards my desk, his moustache twitching into a smile and his eyes mischievous. What do you think about that, Bert? Every single person bar me roared with laughter. My eyes went red. It wasn't just the injustice of a teacher joining in on the daily heckling, but the fact that this was a teacher whom I admired very much. I normally loved Mr Tate's English class. The laughter started to die down. Oh, I don't know. Turkey, I spat back. Everyone immediately stopped laughing. Although I felt like I was going to catch fire, the reaction was incredibly satisfying. It was customary for the boys to say awful things to each other all day, but no one had dared call a teacher by their nickname to their face. The nickname Turkey, as far as I understood it, referred to Mr Tate's slightly odd gait. I wasn't sure if he knew of his nickname beforehand, but the look on his face confirmed that he did. Mr Tate and I glared at each other, locked in a stalemate. Then he just proceeded with the lesson, ignoring me. We never spoke of it again. Alongside sports, arts and academic concerns, school was a place where you were sent to learn how to deal with dicks. It was part of the curriculum. One Saturday, our family took the Vauxhall Viva on a road trip. Destination? Palmerston North. We'd taken State Highway 3 out of Wanganui many times. The road winds up through expanses of farmland, passing turnoffs to Lake Wiratoa and the local prison. As we neared the crest of one of the steeper hills, I saw that a mother duck was walking her ducklings across the highway. It wasn't going well. This was a 100k zone and a stretch of highway where there was little time for drivers to react. The ducklings were just too slow and oblivious to the danger. They'd just pop as the cars ploughed over the top of them. Stop the car, 
I yelled to Mum. What? Why? Mum said. Just do it, please, I said. We weren't going that fast. The Viva really took the hills hard, but Mum still had to take fairly drastic action to pull onto the shoulder. While I waited for a gap in the stream of high-speed traffic, another duckling popped, then another. I raced out onto the road and managed to scoop up one duckling and zip back in time to avoid the next car myself, narrowly. The driver of the car honked and gave me a look I probably deserved. My heart felt like it was going to wrench itself out of my chest, it was beating so hard. I got back into the car and mum gave me a strange look. She was probably wondering why this teenage son of hers, who had shown no special affinity for animals thus far, and actually actively disliked the cats, we had a glaring of half-feral cats, they'd jump onto the table and try to steal food off your plate while you were eating it, had just risked his life, and basically everyone else's, for a duckling. Right then, I felt it was important and the right thing for me to try and save those ducklings. I found an old bike helmet amongst the car junk, and put the little furry duckling into it, which looked pretty unemotional about the current state of things. It ruffled its wings and closed its eyes. My younger siblings craned forward in their car seats to take a look at the new member of the family. Aw, it's cute, said my little sister, Amanda. Outside, the last ducklings popped, and the mother duck just waddled into the bush on the other side. I wondered if she was experiencing regret or just wondering where all the kids went. There was some road work going on along a section of the highway before bulls. The traffic was reduced to a crawl over the loose rocks. We were behind a large cattle truck. Just as we were about to move back onto the paved road, there was a sound like a cannon being fired. The windscreen exploded, and instantly the interior of the car became a howling, whistling wind tunnel, with food wrappers and receipts whipping into our faces. That must have been some rock the cattle truck flicked back up at us. For the second time that day, Mum pulled the car over in an extraordinarily calm manner given the circumstances. We took a look around the car. We were ankle deep in cubes of glass. The kids in the back were okay. They had mostly been protected by the front seats. Mum had been wearing glasses, which saved her eyes. Apart from a few scratches on her arms, she was okay. I'd been looking down at the duckling, so most of the glass had flown over the top of my head and down my sides. Some of the cubes had gone down my shirt, but apart from that, I was fine. We pulled into a nearby service station and scooped out the bulk of the glass. An attendant helped us fit a temporary soft plastic windscreen, which did an acceptable job at low speeds, but became unbearably flappy and loud once we hit top velocity. If you've ever spent time inside a tent during high winds, then you'll understand what the trip back to Wanganui was like. The duckling poked his head out from the helmet to see what all the new noise was about. I wondered if he might consider this an out-of-the-frying-pan-into-the-fire type scenario. Back at home, I had to take care to keep the duckling away from the hungry feral cats. I kept the duckling, I wasn't sure of its sex, in the room I shared with my younger brother Stefan, and experimented with different foods it might eat outside white bread. Rice bubbles and cornflakes seemed to be decent contenders. White carbs, the natural food of the duck. I imagined my duck growing to full size and waddling around the yard, perhaps taking a dip in the stream out back, but always returning home at the end of the day. How big would it need to be to hold its own against the cats? The next day was Sunday and we had to go to church. I wasn't sure why we went to church, but as a family we were going through a stage where that was something that we did. 
On the drive into town, I quizzed mum about our future pet duck plans. Do you think we could train it to come back if it eventually flies away? I asked mum. Oh, I don't know, said mum, trailing off. On the way back from church, I started thinking about school the next day and what the duckling was going to do while I was at school. I also started thinking about the door to our bedroom and whether I'd remembered to close it. Everyone helped me search for the duckling when we got home, but we only found parts of it, the bill, and some flippers. None of the cats tried to steal any food off our plates that night. I was devastated at the intense irony of saving this duckling from a quick death, only to explode broken glass over it and then leave it to be eaten alive by a glaring of half-feral cats. I couldn't stop crying for about 10 minutes, but then I had homework to attend to, so I just had to move on. A few days later, I was getting onto my bike at the end of the lane outside school. I hadn't noticed that Adrian was standing there in the gloom of the early evening. Not getting picked up tonight, he snorted. No, the windscreen got smashed and it still needs to be fixed, I said. Hard luck, said Adrian, like it was an accusation. And it was true. Far too true. It was something of a sport at high school to ferret out each other's flaws and weaknesses and exploit them for the entertainment of the mob. I personally felt like I couldn't win sometimes. I got hassled for being too righteous, too brainy, the way I walked, the way I laughed, my name. Although it took a long time for me to get there, and this extended beyond high school, this was in some ways training to develop the ultimate mindset of not giving a shit what anyone else thinks. No one, I think, ever gets there entirely, but I'm a lot lot closer than I used to be. What fascinated me, though, was that no one went for the nose, my most obvious physiological target, the thing that quite literally sticks out the most. This next piece is an examination of why that might have been the case. Hello, Big Nose. The year was 1997 and there was little mercy. I was receiving a pretty generous share of the bully cake. My crimes were numerous. I was a nerd before being a nerd was cool. I was not au fait with the fashion world. Oh, the devastation of mufty days. I was gangly, like an elastic ape assembled from paper towel rolls and inner tubes. I would bike home late at night wearing fluoro arm and leg bands replete with blinking red LED lights. My mum made me wear them. I was afflicted with a blizzard of chunky dandruff, but was completely unaware of it. It was years before I knew what the jibe white elephants referred to. My hair was a puffy mushroom helmet, probably from using too much conditioner, a substance I have never properly understood. My name was wrong too. The second syllable, Bert, of my former surname, I changed my name but that's another story, proved to be a highly versatile and ridiculous slur that people would bellow from across the grounds or honk like a cow horn. Everything was a target except my nose, and this is a curious point because my nose is not something you'd easily look past. When I lie on the beach, it could serve as a sundial, 
At social and family gatherings, it, it has always been referred to euphemistically as a Roman nose. I used to imagine that this clumped me with other notable noses from history, like Julius Caesar, Roger Waters, and years later, that actor guy from The Pianist. When I lived in Japan, people used the phrase hanaga takai, which can mean either tall nose or, unfortunately for down-to-earth big noses, snob. However you look at it, there's, there's no denying that I sport some intimidating olfactory equipment. But during my high school days, I wasn't aware of just how intimidating it was. Some minor insults were directed at the nose, but they barely registered in the catalogue of names I accrued over time. If I had to estimate percentages, I'd say nose put-downs would be in the single digits, if that. One guy used to shake his shaggy head like a floppy-lipped old Labrador, exclaiming, Hello, big nose! Over and over. If shaking off insults was like navigating a Monopoly board, this idiot was a free pass to go with some get-out-of-jail-free cards thrown in. No one paid him much attention. There was also a brief period where my profile was likened to a parallelogram, given that the large triangle of nose at the front is paired with a head that's a bit bulbous at the back, possibly because of an overzealous forceps delivery. They squeezed too hard at the front and the brains smushed the skull out the back. But we soon moved past polygons and maths and people got bored of the idea. When my least favourite person, my art nemesis, leaned over during English class and whispered, So, your nose, did you, um, break it or something? At first I didn't know what he was talking about. This was a moment of revelation on two counts. I realised that, one, my big nose had come to be considered a no-fire zone. He whispered as though it might pain me for others to hear. And two, that it was abnormally big, not just a noble Roman. And then I got to thinking... How bad must it be to invoke pity where mockery would usually sit comfortably? When it came to the nose, the bullying collective didn't pull their punches so much as put their hands in their pockets and shuffle away. None of them would hold back when a pair of wingnut ears fluttered into the room, or when someone got their head shaved save for a fluffy piss fringe. The nose, however, was sacrosanct. I should have been grateful for the nose's holy status, but actually it provoked a period of critical self-awareness. I became obsessed with trying to catch myself in profile as I walked past reflective surfaces, which is really hard given that your eyes are designed to look straight ahead most of the time. Eventually I concluded that the reason I hadn't noticed the nose before was that my head is shaped like one of those fish. The kind that when you see them straight on, they look tall and skinny, but when viewed from the side you see that there's a whole lot more fish. A flounderhead. A parallelogram fish. I got over it. In my last year of high school, a girl I liked told me that she considered it one of more, my more defining features, that it was distinguished. It may have been pure flattery, but those words were all it took. I have my own children now, and their noses are sweet little cartilage buttons, petite and squishy. That's how it starts. With a genetic landscape of big noses on both sides of the family, they are destined to grow quite the schnozzes. Come puberty, their feet will flip out, their hands might grow to the size of cast iron frying pans, and they will grow two feet in the space of 18 months. As far as I know, this is basically how it goes. Then they'll 
emerge from the chrysalis with a massive increase in nasal surface area and with it a preternatural sense of smell. I hope it serves them well. All right, that's all for today. Thanks for coming along. Thanks for listening. Incredibly appreciative of your support. See you next time. Okay, bye.